Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal. Uh, like Pastor Chris said, I am Pastor Ryan. I just want to welcome you this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us, whether you are in person or online. Um, it's going to be a great day. We're continuing into week two of our Bridges series. If you got to check out last week, we kicked it off for Easter. Uh, we had a great six services, um, just awesome response uh, to this series. And so we're excited about it. Um, we talked last week about how Jesus is uh, our bridge, right? Our bridge to eternity. And so that's what I kind of want to keep going on, but just look at it from a slightly different uh, perspective. You see, our uh, title of this is The Relational Bridge. It talked about how Jesus is uh, our relational bridge. Um, But it kicks off, so as a a pastor, um, there's, it may just be me, uh, but one of the most, uh, I guess, difficult interactions I feel like we as pastors have is when an unsuspecting person, uh, someone I've just met, asks me what I do for a living. Right, so, I, so again, someone I've just met having a normal conversation with, they ask me what I do, and I say, oh, I'm a pastor. Right, and then two things can happen. I guess really three things can happen. Right, the first is I say, oh, I'm a pastor, and they go, oh, cool, what church? Right, and I tell them, you know, we're Coastal Community Church, and then they go, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, most of the time they haven't heard of it. They're just saying that, or they think I meant Seacoast. Right, and so... But they go, oh, cool, what church? And I tell them closely, oh, cool, I've heard of that. You know, and they start talking about their parents' church back home and, you know, how they served at a food bank one time. And it's a great conversation. The second way that it can go is, you know, uh, I say, oh, my pastor. And they go, oh, cool. And they try to keep having a normal conversation. Like they try to keep the normal conversation going. But you can tell in their mind, they're like double checking everything they're about to say for curse words or offensive language, right? Or anything that might, you know, upset this holy person in front of them. Right, so that's the second way. Then the third way is really the most difficult. I say, oh, I'm a pastor, and then nothing. Right, just silence. And, and you tell, there's, there's a couple things that may happen. Right, they go, oh, I'm not a very religious person. Right, and the variations of that can be, you know, well, I don't believe in that God. Or, or I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Right, or, you know, I don't like religious people. Or, you know, it could just be silence and the conversation just ends. And that's definitely the most difficult interaction. But what I found is that when people do have that third reaction, right, when they have that reaction of, of negativity, they almost always use the word religious, right, or religion. Like they truly have a negative connotation uh, with the word. Which, you know, to be completely honest, I don't have that much of an issue with, right? All of this, everything that we do, everything that's a part of Coastal, it's not about Religion. I think it's a completely fair statement to say that religion has probably done just as much damage or harm as it has good. Right? And so they have this negative, you know, connotation of religion. But again, that's fine. Right? God didn't call us to be religious. God didn't send Jesus down to earth to live a perfect, sinless life, be beaten and ridiculed on a cross, right? Bleed, die on that cross, and then raise to life so that we can be religious. He didn't wipe away the payment of our sin on that cross so that we can be religious. Actually, the, the word religion, right? Like the root word of that is the Latin word uh, ligare, ligari. And it actually means, it's translated as uh, to bind or bound or bondage. Right, so with that context, it's much easier to understand that Jesus did not come for us to be 
religious. He didn't come to put us into bondage, right? He came to set us free. And so in its essence, Christianity is not a religion. It's not bondage, but it's a relationship with a living God. And that's why he sent Jesus, right? So that we could know him, so that we could experience him, so that he could be be revealed to us in a way that we could actually understand, right? He came so that we'd be released from sin, no longer in bondage, but set free. So in all actuality, Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. And that's what I want to kind of dive into this morning, this idea of religion versus relationship and how that can look for you in your life. And one thing to note as we go through it, right, this is not a, a new struggle. Right? This is not a struggle or an idea or conflict bought, brought on by our current culture. The struggle of religion versus relationship has been around literally since the first churches were planted. We can look at one great example in Galatians, right? And so this is the uh, Apostle Paul. Probably heard of the Apostle Paul, uh, great disciple, great church planter. And so he traveled around planting churches, right? He'd go to a place, meet a group of people, tell them about Jesus. They'd give their life to Jesus. He would start a church with them, raise up leaders within the church. The church would be able to handle itself on its own, then he would leave. He went around planting churches like this. And so he did this in uh, Galatia. Again, he met those people, told them about Jesus. They gave their lives over. They started this church and it became this awesome thing that he was in turn able to leave and go start another one. But in this specific example, what happened was he started this church with these people. He left and then another group of people came right after him. These people were uh, called the Judaizers, right? And they were a super uh, religious people who basically thought it wasn't just about knowing God. Right? They thought to, to be right with God, to go to heaven, it wasn't just about knowing God. They actually taught that you have to know God. And then in this specific circumstance in the Bible, it says that they taught that you also had to be circumcised. Right? That you also had to follow all of the Old Testament uh, or old Jewish laws. I imagine that didn't go over pretty well. Right? Paul's like, hey, you just got to know Jesus. They're like, okay, cool, I know Jesus. Other people come in, actually, now you got to be circumcised. Probably would go over as well then as it would today, Right? And so Paul, he heard about this, and understandably, he got upset. All right, he says in Galatians 1, 6 through 7, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who, you, who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Right, so he's saying they're perverting the gospel. Other translations of the Greek word uh, for perverting are, you know, to corrupt or distort or poison. Right, so they're literally poisoning the relationship with God, this essential element of the Christian faith with the do's and the don'ts, the laws and regulations of religion. And honestly, this is where we get into trouble. This is why a lot of people don't like Christians. That's why a lot of people don't trust Christians and why the term religion often has that negative connotation. Religion is different than the relationship designed by God. And we have to understand that to not only reach lost people, but to also live the life that God has designed for us to have. Because the real problem is that religion, religion does a couple of things 
that are, are really detrimental to your relationship with Christ, the relational aspect of the Christian life. One thing religion does uh, is it focuses on the external rather than the internal. Right? It focuses on the external rather than the internal. Religion is, is the do's and the don'ts, right? The rules and the laws. It is essentially an outward effort to close the gap between us and a perfect God instead of an inward transformation, right? Instead of that heart change that we know truly happens when you do know God. It basically reverts Christianity down to nothing more than an outdated list of things we cannot do and things we have to do to earn the favor of God who already paid the ultimate price for our sin. Right? Do you see how misguided that is? But like I said, it's not just a today problem. This is not just a modern issue. It was very common in Jesus's day. You probably heard of uh, the Pharisees, right? or at least not in the biblical context, you've heard someone called a Pharisee you know, today. These were a group of people that lived by the law and for the law. Right, today's Christians, we have the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments we're supposed to follow. The Pharisees had 613 commandments, and they were memorized, memorized every single one of them. Right, so they lived a very, very holy, very righteous, lawful life. But the problem was, just like we mentioned before, it was more of an outward faith. It was more of a look at me, look what I do, and look what I don't do kind of faith rather than an internal one built on a foundation of a relationship with God. And Jesus, the Bible says, despised them for it. Matthew 23, 25, Jesus said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Right? So they were all about the attention, all about the appearance of being holy. They were the ones that when they prayed, it wasn't like, you know, the Bible says in Matthew where you go into your inner chamber and pray in private. No, they were the ones on the street yelling it out loudly. They went out of their way to, you know, to show how they dressed and who they hung out with. They even went out of their way to show how much uh, sacrifice they gave at the temple. Right? That'd basically be like someone today, you know, time to take up the offering. Oh, they pull out like a clearinghouse sweep takes giant check. You know, walk up to the front and like, look at me and putting it in the offering plate. Like, that's how crazy it was. But that's what religion does. Like, that's what a faith built on a misguided set of rules and regulations does. It focuses more on the outward than the inward. Another thing religion does, another thing a misguided religion does is that it promotes spiritual pride. Religion promotes spiritual pride. It basically makes us feel like we are better than everyone else. I know we all fall prey to this at some time or another. I know I do. We start comparing our lives to other people's. Like, I, I, I don't do this, so I'm obviously better. I don't go out on the weekends and drink and get drunk, so I have my stuff together more than them. Right? My marriage doesn't have those issues. So obviously, we're better off than them, or, or my kids don't act like that, so my family is obviously better than theirs. We develop this pride built off of this idea that because we do or don't do a couple of things, that we are better than someone else. 
But again, Jesus despised this mental and, and spiritual outlook of I'm always right and they're always wrong. This personal, righteous, holier-than-thou lifestyle. He actually told a story about it in Luke 18. Right, looking at verse 9, he says, the Bible says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So he's already setting it up right there. Right, this is for the people who look down on everyone else. Verse 10 says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Right, so we talked about Pharisees. You probably also heard of tax collectors of the day. Right, basically known as the greediest of all men. They actually had basically a government-issued license to steal from people. Right, whatever they could convince you that you owed more than what you actually did or whatever they could convince you to pay that was more than what you actually owed taxes-wise to the government, they were allowed to keep. Right, so nobody liked the tax collector. And so you've got these two polar opposites, the, the supposed to be most righteous, most holy person, and you've got the tax collector here in the temple. And as it keeps going, it says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. It says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Did you imagine that prayer? Right? Like it's Tuesday night, you're closing out small group with prayer. God, I just want to thank you that I'm not like Bob and Susan right here. I want to thank you that I'm right and they're wrong and I've got it all together. That'd be crazy, right? And the real problem comes, though, when it's not really these like, extreme examples, like something like that. It, it comes in the you know, real life, small, practical applications in comparison that you have with other people. And what happens is that you do this, but it's almost, when you look in the mirror, it's almost impossible to notice that you're doing them. And that's when spiritual pride really becomes an issue. And it just festers and becomes such an issue that it seeps out into every area of your life and ultimately damages your witness to other people. You know, one of the reasons, again, that so many people don't like Christians or, or don't get along with Christians is that Christians don't even get along with themselves. Right, we're so cynical and just overcritical, you know, because of our own pride. Our attitude is so much that we are right and everybody else is wrong that we forget about the idea of grace. Right? We forget how much grace we've been extended. Imagine if, if Jesus, if God held us to the same you know, standard that we like to hold all of our other Christian friends to. We'd be screwed. But again, the good thing is Jesus didn't come to judge us by religious standards. He didn't come to make us religious. He doesn't want us to be Pharisees. Right? He came to set us free, to give us a life full of, of joy, victory, love, compassion, and unity. And our focus, the primary focus of every Christian needs to be the purity of the gospel, the purity of the good news that is given to every single one of us. Right? Because when we focus on the religion, we lose the entirety of why God even sent Jesus down in the first place. You know, to be honest, I think a lot of us forget why Jesus even came in the first place a lot of the times. Or, or how about this? I think a lot of people maybe learned why wrong or, or never even got the chance to learn why Jesus truly came. And so I want to give you that chance this morning, why God sent Jesus in three quick verses. Romans 3, 20 through 22. Right, verse 20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. 
Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith and Jesus Christ to all who believe. Given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So breaking it down, first we see no one can be declared righteous in God's sight by doing the works of the law. Basically, you can't earn God's love by doing the right things. You can't earn God's love by doing the right things. Right? Religion says, oh, well, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't get drunk. I don't sleep around. And I serve in the nursery once a month, so I'm good to go. Right? It's pretty clear, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. And so then the question becomes, why do we even need the law? Right? Well, the law, the purpose of the law is to show your need for a savior, to show that we do need a savior. Right? Just going through the Ten Commandments, I'm going to put um, the over-under on how many you break today at about four, Okay? It shows that we, the law shows that we do need a savior. The end of verse 20 says, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law shows us the fact that we aren't all good enough and we do need a savior. It shows us that we don't need religion. We need a relationship with our savior. But then it gets to the good news, right? Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Being right with God comes only one way, and that's by faith in Christ alone. Being right with God only comes one way, and it's through faith in Christ alone. You see, it's not having a relationship with God and doing good deeds. It's not knowing God and tithing. It's not knowing God and serving in nursery once a month. It's not knowing God and insert religious do or don't here. It's knowing God, having a relationship with him, Knowing, trusting, and loving him, and nothing else. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That last part, faith in Christ to all who believe. Right? In my understanding, all includes everyone. Right? Not everyone who never did anything wrong. No, everyone who has messed up, everyone who has sinned, everyone who has doubted, everyone who has made a mistake. Everyone who has gone down a wrong path, but then still turns back to God. Because no matter what, God sees you as clothed in his righteousness, right? He sees the value that he created you with. That's why none of this other stuff matters. He knows it all, but when he looks at you, right, he knows you've messed up, but he still loves you. He still cares about you enough to send his son to be the bridge back to him. That's why we don't need a relationship, or we don't need religion. We need a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ alone, we become right with God, a relationship with him. Right? Because a relationship says, I obey because God loves me. Religion says, I obey, then God might love me. Right? Religion says, I have to do this and this and this to prove who I am. Relationship says, I am who I am because of the goodness and grace of God. But you also have to hear this. 
right? This bridge, this relationship and unconditional love, it's not a license to do whatever we want, right? That's completely missing it. Because when you realize what Jesus did, all the stuff he went through, again, betrayed by his friends, beaten and ridiculed, nailed to a cross, dying the most painful death imaginable to pay the price for a sin he didn't commit, doing all of this to be our bridge. When we truly understand that, the only answer we can have is obedience and submission. And back to our passage in Luke, we know that wasn't the reaction of the Pharisee. Right? We know who the Pharisee is, what they do. We see he obviously didn't truly understand the inner transformation part. But we do see that the tax collector did. Even though he had messed up, even though he was one of the most hated people because of the actions, the things that he did, right? he understood, verses 13 and 14. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then it says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the tax collector, the man who messed up rather than the Pharisee, the perfect holy person, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Because Jesus did not come for us to be religious, but to have a relationship with him. And this relationship is all about him, right? I think many times in our lives, we've seen religion hurt people. It just happens, religion hurt people, but what heals them is the relationship. This relationship is not about us and all about him, because if it was all about us, this world would just be a wasteland of hurt and despair. But because it is all about Jesus, it is real and it is good. And so we have to make it all about him. John 3.30 says, he must become greater, I must become less. We have to realize that that is the form, and I know it goes against every fiber of our being. We think it should either be, you know, he's God, he's got enough, he can decrease, and I can increase, or at least at the minimum, like he can increase, that's fine, but I need to go with him. Like I can increase too. But that's not it. We have to humble ourselves like Christ. Right? He came to earth to be the bridge for us with no other tension or no other intention. Right? Than to be the method by which hurting and lost and broken people can come to know him. You can come to have that relationship with God. One last idea for you today, one thing. Um, as I was truly, you know, sitting back and reflecting on this idea of Jesus being the bridge, the, the relational bridge, and what it looks like in our life practically, um, another parable jumped out at me. The parable of the prodigal son. I'm sure, you know, we at least all know a part of the story, right? It's Luke uh, chapter 25. So there's a father, he has two sons. Younger, younger son comes to him and says, Dad, you're dead to me. I need my inheritance. Dad loves his son. He says, okay, here it is. Son goes off on his own, squanders it all away, you know, living this crazy, wild lifestyle, literally loses everything to the point where he is eating and living with pigs. He realizes what he's done. He realizes he has to go home and, and seek his father's forgiveness. So he heads home, and while he was still a long way out, his father sees him coming and his father takes off running towards him. The Bible says there's a robe flapping and, and sandals flopping, something that a father would never do in that day. He gets to him, he gives him the biggest hug, takes his robe and puts on him, puts a ring on his finger, 
immediately adopts him back into his family and then throws him the biggest welcome home barbecue anyone's ever seen. Right, this boy of mine used to be dead and now he is alive, he is home. But in church, that's kind of where we stop a lot of times, right? That's the happy ending to the story. But when you keep going, you see how the parable, you know, addresses this idea of teaches us not to be like religious people and like the Pharisees. The story keeps on going. So again, the father had the older son, right? The older son, you know, here's, here's what commotion. He hears the music. He kind of sees the party. He smells the fattest calf and he goes over to the servant. He doesn't go to the father. He goes to the servant and says, what's going on? And the servant says, it's your brother, right? Your brother is, is home and your father has thrown him a party. And the older son is just livid, right? He's mad. And so he goes to the dad and he just loses it. He says, what are you doing? Right? How could, how could you do this? He bailed on us, right? He took everything. He gave it all up. He did it all, right? He drank. He did drugs. He was addicted. He embarrassed us. He embarrassed our family. He gave it all up. And you throw a party for him? He says, what about me? I did everything right. I obeyed. I was the good kid. Does that sound familiar? Right? Like, what about me, right? I did all the right things. I served at Saturday Serve. I gave my first 10%. I joined two life groups. I was a part of Daring Faith. I read all the Friday Fives. Right? I did it all. Order says, but you throw him a party. You've never thrown me one. But you see, he's doing exactly what Jesus teaches us we shouldn't. He is laying everything on his good deeds. He is betting his eternity on his actions. And the Bible says that, you know, the father comes out. He literally begs his older son. Again, something that a father would not do in this time period. He begs his son, says, please come in. Please come in. Right? Everything I have is yours. You know, please, it's not about what you've done, right? It's by the grace of God that you are saved. Every person in this room, in person or watching online, it's only by the grace of God and the person of Christ that we are saved, right? There's no longer a covenant built on laws and rules. It's a covenant built on love and, and grace that whoever would believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that was the atonement for your sin, not the good works that you do, those people would be saved. Those people would have access to God the Father through Christ the Son, the living bridge sent to save us all. And that's what it's about today. And that's what I'd like to give everyone here a chance to experience today, whether you know Jesus you know, or you heard about him for the first time today, you know, whether you have a rock-solid relationship with him or you're just starting to learn and explore. It doesn't matter where you're at the price has already been paid. Jesus has already come back to life. He is the relational bridge to save you from religion and this world and get you back to the Father. So would you pray for that this morning with me? Father God, I just, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you love every single person here in person, online. I think you loved us so much 
that you were willing to send your son down to earth to be beaten and ridiculed and betrayed and nailed to a cross and die the most painful death, be buried in a tomb, but then come back to life to pay the price for our sin. I thank you that we don't have to stick to this religious book of of laws and, and regulations and do's and don'ts, but that we just have to know Jesus. We just have to love him so much that we accept the gift that has been given to us. I just pray that every person in this room, again, whether they know God fully, they have a loving, trusting relationship with him, or they've never really heard about it before, never known him, but are just now interested in learning about this, this God who would give up his son for them. No matter whether I just hope they turn to you and say, I'm willing to accept this gift. I'm willing to, to trust that Jesus is the bridge for me to, to get out of this life that I'm living and trying to control and be all about me and, and, and go towards the life that you have designed for me, full of goodness and grace and compassion and mercy and love. And God, I hope that that just fills us up so much that there is no choice but for us to be obedient and submit to you. But not only that, that it just overflows out of our life, that every single person around us, every single person that we come into contact with notices there is just something different about us. There is something so different that there has to be some kind of inward transformation. Something has to be different with our heart. And they want to know about that. And they want to know about you. And they come to know you and accept you as their Lord and Savior. So that's what I pray for, God, for each and every person here. We just thank you for everything that you give us, all that you've done for us. Help us to live out this relational life each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.